What's up, everyone? I'm Joel Rafiti. Got my co-host Erasmus with me as always. Welcome back. You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast. Uh, today we have Ian Spellman joining us. You know, who has been a science teacher, worked within mainstream academia, and you know now is offering alternative science education and you know reframing what it, what it means to be educated around science, how we can think more critically, how how, how we can be less dogmatic, and how we can truly educate the young people. Yeah, it's a, a conversation that really enjoyed. We hope uh, you enjoy it as well. And uh, without further ado, here is Ian. You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafiti and Eurosimos. Ian Spellman is a professional educator currently building on eight years of full-time experience to bring what he has learned in traditional classrooms to the growing multitudes of folks who are in the process of decoupling themselves from formal educational institutions. Many freedom-oriented parents have begun questioning the benefits of enrolling their kids in public and even private schools in the wake of scamdemic lockdowns. The wholesale takeover of academia by radical ideologies hell-bent on warping the minds of children and young adults into as anti-natural a state as possible, and just a general recognition that most schools now seem to have a net negative psychological impact on developing minds. A growing response to all this has been a surge in homeschooling and unschooling initiatives across the world, which has also meant a surge for private educators and curriculums that are grounded in a more naturalistic worldview, and which recapture the formerly high standards of intellectual rigor we should rightly expect from the world of higher learning. Man, that is, that is so well-written. It feels like it could have come from me on some level. And I couldn't agree with you more, man. People are asking us daily, you know, what we recommend in terms of education for children, alternative options, you know, where's the, where's the truth? Who's got the goods? People want to know all this information now. So, dude, glad you're doing what you're doing. Welcome to Here for the Truth. Pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Nah, man, no worries at all. You know how we like to start these conversations, man. Um, what are the what are the major rites of passages? Like, what's some of the history behind? I guess how you moved from mainstream education into what you're doing now. Uh, and yeah, how how's this all come about? Yeah, well, when I'm tracing back, like my trajectory as far as you know, not really jiving with uh, what most people around me are telling me, I always go back to this memory I have as a kid uh, when I was just watching TV in my living room. I was probably like seven or eight years old. And I remember seeing um, back to back, there were these two commercials on TV uh, where they were both advertising competing products. I think it was like a house cleaner product. And I remember at the end of each commercial, they both said something like, uh, we're the number one cleaning products like uh, in America or whatever it was. So I remember my my young childhood mind looking at that realized like what how can they both be number one and <laughs> I thought you know I was taught always like the TV is this wonderful thing you're supposed to trust everything but here I am it's like you know the the adults of my life are are making these TV programs and yet here I'm seeing this clear contradiction one of them has to be wrong um, so people have asked me that before and for some reason that's just uh, this is just a, a very strong memory I have ever since then. Um, yeah, I've always just uh, not really very easily trusted um, what you could say the mainstream um, is going, uh, wants to sort of convince us to believe. 
Um, so as far as how I got into, you know, from going from like academia into this more alternative approach, um, a lot of that has to do, I think, also with uh, the way I was raised. I was brought up in a very sort of like uh, evangelical Christian household. Um, and in my sort of teenage years and early 20s, I wanted to do the typical rebellion against that. And what better way to do it than to go into university and study uh, sociology and uh, biology, particularly, like I said, I'm going to be an evolutionary biologist and, you know, <laughs> screw all this stuff. And um, because I, at that point I'd had enough of, um, just a, a lot of these sort of misrepresentations that I felt a lot of people on the sort of like far right wing, I guess you could call it evangelical world, um, the way they misrepresent, um, you know, certain things. Uh, so I go to university thinking it's going to be this like bastion of free thinking and, uh, yeah, you know, herein lies all the truth and science really does have all the answers. Like so many people when they're uh, young and idealistic, they tend to think. Um, but after a few years of doing that, I started realizing that uh, the way they argue, the way they present things, and uh, also the ways in which they try to combat that opposite side of things, that other worlds that I came from when they're sort of... Uh, um, discussing like the, you know, the scientific ignorance of, you know, the religious right or whatever. I realized that they're misrepresenting those positions as well in so many of the same ways. Um, so from there, I really started to question, I, I started to, uh, really get in my head towards the end of my university career. Like I love this knowledge. I love science, um, and every, all this research I've been involved in, there's so much here. But I'm starting to see that this materialist reductionist paradigm is just its own religion. Um, as so many have said, I, I came to this organic understanding of that um, firsthand. Um, and then, like for so many, it really uh, accelerated exponentially once 2020 hit. And I started to see how scientific language uh, was being used mostly to just befuddle people. Um, into believing things that were clearly incorrect, clearly like the uh, the antithesis of what science is supposed to be. And I mean, I, I would I was already studying and brushing up on sort of like the the conspiratorial history of like the pharmaceutical industry. I'd already kind of known a bit about that um, going into this, so I think that sort of primed me for initial skepticism. But I like most of us had no idea the levels it was going to get to uh, at that time. So um, here I was, I, I uh, shortly before in uh, late 2017, I came to Thailand and started teaching here. I was getting out of America for various reasons. I had a buddy over here um, who he'd been hopping all over Asia for a while. So he just told me just get out of the US and come to Thailand, teach for a year, ended up staying for eight. Um, and continuing on. Um, so I've been over here uh, dealing with this whole thing as a teacher, um, science teacher specifically, um, dealing with, you know, kids of all ages. I've, I've taught kindergarten through middle school. I'm currently teaching high school or secondary level for depending on where you are in the world. Um, and just the fact that I've worked at a few different schools and once you know, the whole 
scandemic things started happening. It was strange for me that they would hire me specifically for my background in science and biology. But then as soon as I had any sort of challenge to the whole, you know, anything regarding, especially the masking, forcing the kids to wear masks, I, I had a really hard time uh, getting behind that and I refused to enforce it. And uh, yeah, just that, uh, that disconnect between people, uh, you know, the, these people who were taught to believe have the best interests of kids and their education in mind, especially I was working at a school uh, that that prided themselves on being like a Steiner school, Rudolf Steiner, Maria Montessori, and they still just fell for this hook, line and sinker. And uh, I basically got run out of that school for being one of only like two or three people who wouldn't wear a mask, wouldn't enforce it with the kids, wouldn't get jabbed and all that. Um, and so really it was that moment of uh, being sort of run out of that job that I realized uh, that the world is, especially the Western world, is abandoning the, these mainstream educational institutions and droves. And that means we now have a lot of parents who, you know, they want to homeschool their kids. They know that they've got to take them out of school, but um, I'm seeing this everywhere uh, in like homeschool groups and forums and everything is that a lot of parents just don't know where to begin. They've, you know, they've never had to teach before. They've never been educators. And a lot of the times the subjects matter, especially if their kids are a little older, like middle school or high school level, they're like, I have no idea how to teach about like genetics or cells or anything sort of like this higher level science stuff. I can take them to museums or for a walk in the woods, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, but most homeschool curriculums and programs that you find are really just going to be a recycled version of your typical sort of like Pearson textbook or whatever it is. Um, just like, you know, rehashed for a homeschool curriculum. So I wanted to make something that was going to not only, uh, walk people through the foundations of the biological sciences specifically, but weave in, uh, discussions that are going to range from like history, psychology, philosophy, etymology, all these other topics that I find very interesting that have these really interesting intersections with the study of the life sciences. And sort of and create something that was new, um, that showed that there was uh, that there's really is uh, more of a synthesis between all of these seemingly disconnected fields, um, and at the same time, I'm not going to be shying away telling people like, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, uh, researching alternative theories. I know the one that gets talked about a lot and you guys have talked about recently would be like the terrain theory versus germ theory thing where, you know, your mainstream uh, university professor is going to say, absolutely not. We're not going to talk about that because that's just not part of the curriculum or whatever else. So I want to be able to uh, first steel man the, the arguments of say the textbooks, give people the ability to really understand what those arguments are, what all the words mean. And then once you can understand that, then we can start to really see the flaws in it because a lot of people um starting to wrap up here but a lot of the people uh who get into these more alternative theories like your uh, uh terrain theories and, and everything else and there's a lot of legitimacy to those but i feel like a lot of people they realize that you know one scientific paradigm was wrong and it's more the psychology behind it where they're just going to immediately jump to another 
dogma or way of thinking without first totally understanding the whole uh, playing field of uh, everything that goes into it. So I want to bring people up to speed with the ABCs as best as possible. And so really that's been, uh, that's been my inspiration. I love it, man. You're you're hired, bro. You're hired. Yeah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I just love how you communicate things and even just this idea of, and, you know, someone who has influenced us, uh, Michael Tazarian talks about often, like, you know, I want to know the argue, I want to know the argument of the other side of of the person challenging me. So how, how does one teach? And this is a question I want to ask you, how does one teach critical thinking, you know, in children? Mm -hmm. You know, to get them to to hold space for differing, you know, arguments, different ideologies. Yeah, well, there's a lot of different ways, but like one strategy that I've really found is useful, especially with, I want to say, especially with younger students, though, it could work with pretty much anyone is you take, like, if we take an example out of the sciences, um, one thing I really love doing is, say, starting a lesson or a curriculum or topic by taking some statement that's sort of held as as like an absolute fundamental truth, something no one would ever think to question. Uh, like, for example, uh, saying like like putting up a picture of, say, a water molecule and saying like this is not H2O or something and then getting people to make and not necessarily saying like this is what i believe or i'm making some sort of objective statement about it but just to kind of get them to think about these types of models in a new way or you know if i wanted to introduce uh talking about say germ theory i could say like uh i i could just make a statement like germs don't make you sick because for most people especially most kids and Asia is very different than the West now because yeah. people are, tend not to be as sort of like, you know, in, in, in the West, we really we have a lot of people that really like to shake the bars of the cage and in Asia, that doesn't really happen. So you have a lot more collectivism here. Yeah. So things like that, I find work are, it leads to some really interesting discussions with students when you show things like that. And then you have to try to get them to come up with some sort of understanding or, or maybe provide some arguments for them as to why this might be the case. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It would be, I think, it would, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to well, say, no, I guess I mean, it's kind of one one benefit to like you know posting like debates and, and and getting kids to think through the proper arguments to present. You know, for for yeah. an opposing side. Well, I think we've lost that art in in education, like debating. You know, yeah. I mean, maybe, I know there's debate things mm-hmm. that go on in school and stuff, but I just feel like it's not something that's very present. It's like here you go, this is what the truth is. Regurgitate it, get your grade, move on. Yeah, yeah, and. It's uh, kind of tough as as a teacher as well, because when you're working for an institution, we as well are sort of forced mm-hmm. in some ways. We're funneled into uh, teaching in that way. So it becomes sort of like a, a nuanced art of trying to figure out, like, how can I still uh, give these students some decent lessons? But, you know, I still kind of have to play the game of school, which is why I find like homeschooling and unschooling to be such a. Uh, fantastic uh, initiative because it's trying to undo all of that. You, you know what? Um, I, what I was going to say earlier, and I don't know, it just popped into my head at that moment. Would be an interesting experiment to do with kids. Now you would have to like get certain kids on it, it uh, get certain kids to go along with it, and other ones to be like maybe the test subjects, but to recreate mm-hmm. the Ash conformity experiment, and then and then uh-huh. educate and then educate them afterwards what you did. So you have like five kids in on the on the experiment and then you know one person not and then they're going along and to see if they get impacted 
by the people within their environment and then to kind of show them, you know, what happens and what the case may, you know, what can happen in those situations when you're impacted by the people around you. Anyways, that was just something that popped into my head. I don't know if it would work, but. And just, just, just for those that yeah. don't know, Ash Conformity Experiment is basically highlighting, you know, people going along with group consensus, regardless of knowledge that they already have. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't, just search it online and it's a short little video. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, familiar because uh, my, my other background is in sociology. So that was another uh was one of those classic studies you kind of have to learn about there. I've not, so I've not tried that, uh, with students <laughs> though. I imagine, yeah, some interesting results could, uh, could come out of that for sure. Yeah. Anyways, this just popped into my head because it would be interesting to see how that would go depending on the age yeah. group, of course. I don't know if it would work with like four-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most likely not, but, uh, I've got, I've got, Yeah. My current ones, I I might be able to swing that with. Uh, thanks cool. for the idea. If I if I do it, I'll uh, report back the results. Awesome. <laughs> so, like, obviously, you know, for those who are thinking alternatively, for those who are freedom oriented and freedom minded, and questioning the mainstream paradigm around things, you know, homeschooling is becoming the more popular option. Um, but I mean, homeschooling has its pitfalls. Like like you've mentioned, like most parents like are not educators, you know, and yeah. For most of us, for many people, you know, they're going to swing to the opposite. Oh, mainstream education is, you know, completely screwed up. Therefore, you know, I just need to have them at home, have my kids around me. And but in many ways, that becomes the parent just indoctrinating the child yeah. with, with, with where their thinking finishes. Um, you know, but then obviously you offer courses, there's curriculums, et cetera. But then, you know, do you want our kids to be stuck learning online? You know, we're not going to have free-minded thinking alternative teachers in every single city in the world. So, like, what are right. some of the, the the solutions, you know, moving forward? I, I, you, not long ago, you referenced uh, Tessarian. And so I borrow, you know, obviously I came to you guys uh, through uh, your appearances there. So he's also been a, a huge uh, influence and teacher. And so what he's... Uh, this this may seem like an unwieldy uh, fix for a lot of people, but I really think it's the best answer is like people got to start uh, cultivating some sort of personal self-reflection and understand their own psychology. Because I think this is a, this might have even been a topic that you guys discussed. I remember someone discussing this, uh, the problems of homeschooling in, in depth at some point. Um and what you just said is exactly the case, because if you're just taking them out of a public school or even a private school and you're just replacing one dogmatic worldview with another, then you're still just creating uh, a slave mindset in the next generation. So really, the onus is on parents. I don't really know other any other way around it. They need to be able to recognize that you're not trying to create some like carbon copy robot version of yourself. And, and that's unfortunately what education has become. And even well-meaning parents who want to homeschool their kids because, of, you know, I want to give them a better education or everything. If those parents haven't deprogrammed themselves from their own schooling, then they're not going to know anything else. They're just going to create this sort of, you know, rigid program, like here's your set schedule. You must fill you do this worksheet. And I've seen this happen uh, with parents a lot as they're, they're, kind of uh, at a loss as to what to do. You can't blame them. Um, they don't really, uh, they, they, they're, they don't know what to do. 
Um, and, and they don't also all have the time and like right. they're yes. in their yeah, lives exactly. doing their thing. And I mean, I've had conversations yeah. with parents that would like to do some form of unschooling or homeschooling, but either financially, they're not at that place time wise, mm-hmm. they don't have. And so it's like, they just, they just kind of do what they can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have uh, nothing but empathy for people in this situation, especially now with things being as they are. I mean, most households are having like both parents are having to work like two jobs just in order to, you know, feed their family. Um, so, yeah, time is uh, a, a precious commodity at this time. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have it. So um, I'm not saying that I'm going to ha- I don't have all the answers to of fix course. everything, but it can. But definitely it can start by at least approaching uh, your children's education with the idea that uh, no one knows everything. And ninety nine point nine percent of all the ideas that people have had have been wrong in some way. So it's best to approach education and teaching them any subjects with the caveat that, OK, this might be wrong. We might have some interesting ideas, but, you know, here's what people say about this. Here's what some different people say about the same subjects. They don't always agree. Um, Gather all the information you can and then consistently be asking, like, what do you think about this? Get really used to questioning your kids or uh, uh, and even yourself. Like, what do we really think about this information? Not what do, you know, my friends and family want me to think about the information or my peer group or whatever. What is like the truth or community think I should believe? Uh, what What is the information actually telling me? What's really being revealed here through my own, say, intuition, my own intellectual faculties? Um, and so if you're doing that yourself and if you're encouraging your kids to do it by uh, by just and coaxing these sorts of questions with them and and are coaxing these answers out of them as best you can. Um, that I think will, uh, that's probably one of the best de-schooling methods I know is to start asking them like how they feel about the information, not just, okay, remember this and put it on the paper when the time comes. Yeah. What do you actually, yeah. what do you genuinely think about this? You know, yeah. right. I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know all the answers, but here's one to the beliefs. Here's what some people believe. Here are the reasons why, but you know, Ultimately, there's no firm dogmatism around it. Like, what, what does your mind say about all this? Yeah. Right. And it's it stimulates further curiosity. And I had an acting teacher who's um who's a friend of mine. Um, he said in a class once many years ago, he's like, as a parent, you know, if you can just uh, cultivate curiosity in your child, like a good portion of your jo- job is done, you know, because right. the system that we have, especially the educational system and everything that you were saying before, about parents being pretty entrenched in their dogmas and wanting to create carbon copies. It's like you, you, you swallow up that curiosity because you're like, no, the schools tell you what's true. Don't go outside the box. Parents have their like specific ways of being that they project on their kids. And so I feel like that curiosity gets, um, you know, just kind of dissolves away uh, very yeah. often. And I think the more you can keep that, that wonder, that sense of not knowing, um, is I think can uh, really be a, very supportive as a child continues on in their life. I know that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's yeah. it's it's also like a, a a great value just in living and in experiencing life. Like to me, life would be so dull and boring if I wasn't curious. If I wasn't you know inquisitive right. about what what the answers might be or what my future might hold or, or what else might be possible for me. Like right. it's such a yeah reductionistic paradigm to live in where we think we can't question everything and, and everyone already knows all the answers. 
There's no space yeah. for me to discover anything new. Yeah. Like, are you kidding it's, me? It's like uh it's like uh the Truman show when he goes to like the movie where he goes to like like buy a ticket to travel. It's like, yeah, it's been explored. No, no, don't worry about that. You don't need to go there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I've seen this a lot now. It's it, it like uh, teaching young people now. It's like uh, one uh, teacher colleague that I have put it really well. He says it's almost like we're teaching the internet because uh, we're we're it, the kids now really are a product. They've grown up uh, just entrenched in this. Whereas you know I'm I'm 33, so I at least grew up during a time when the internet wasn't really a big thing. I know you guys are with the um, with the, with the last generation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We kind of have that island of uh, youthful memory of uh, things just being a lot simpler. Uh, so now I can definitely see that. But with the exception of a few students, um, that curiosity, like you're saying, seems to just be killed because they're used to the idea of like, okay, well, any fact that I need to look up, you know, here it is. I've got this phone that I'm glued to 24-7. I can just look up any anything. Uh, but of course, when all of those searches are going to be, you know, filtered out by, you know, certain companies and institutions that want only certain information uh, being put forward, of course, they're they're going to be raised in this world where, okay, there really is only one answer, um, especially for like these scientific questions. Uh, whereas, uh, what? What, si what scientific research is actually showing us is we actually don't really know much of anything. All we have is at best conjectures. Um, and really life, the universe, everything is, uh, it really is just one gigantic mystery. And it seems like every single time we sort of prod and poke for those answers, uh, we maybe it's almost like we get one step forward and two steps back, at least with our current, like sort of poking and prodding, uh, scientific uh, method that we use to get to everything. There's no real reverence for the mystery. It's like science is now being used as a tool for, you know, it's, it's, it's the will to power. It's, it's like, I want to learn science so that I have uh, control and dominance over nature and over my body, as opposed to, you know, I want to look at this in terms of like how a natural philosopher would look at things. Like I love nature and I love that the wisdom, I love the wisdom that nature has to show us through observation, uh, which is why I, I, I much prefer uh, to think of learning these topics. Uh, I, I much prefer the, uh, the title of a natural philosopher as opposed to a scientist. Uh, the word science itself, it has like an etymological uh, link to just like a, a splitting, a breaking down of everything. Um, so it's actually it's linked to uh, etymologically to words like scissors, um, schism, um, and and schizophrenia as well. They share a common root um, because it's all talking about like the the splitting and breaking down. But if you don't know how to break everything, if you don't know how to first break everything up and then also put it all back together and synthesize everything into this greater form of knowledge, all you've got is a bunch of random screwed out pieces. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Natural philosopher like leaves room for intuition, you know. Exactly. Where I think yeah. science is at the exclusion of that, because for the natural philosopher, what the things that we're drawn to study, to discover, to learn more of, that's like that's an intuitive felt sense of mm -hmm. where one is drawn to, you know, um, mm -hmm. which which doesn't exist in the in the current scientific paradigm. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Um, 
because again, yeah, like the, the, as we were saying, the current scientific paradigm is just, uh, you know, what does the textbook say? What does Google say? And there you go. There's your answer. But yeah, yeah uh, philosophy, but philosophy automatically entails there's going to be sort of more a receptive listening and it's going to be a more, a more uh, personal approach to this knowledge. Yeah. And like, not that, you know, Google and having, you know, phones at our beck and call is an entire negative thing either, you know, like hmm. if, if understood correctly, and again, you know, if it's approached non-dogmatically, then, you know, it's, right. it's, it's, an, it's an incredible tool for us to discover answers, get different perspectives, get different belief systems and, and form our own conclusions at a far quicker pace than we ever could have as well. Yeah. Right. You need that foundational philosophy, though, to be the person that's going to utilize, you know, these devices, you know, to to go, hey, I can keep searching. I can explore these things. I can connect, connect with these different people from all around the world and gain these new ideas and then hopefully use your own process of introspection and and to feel what's right. You know, so yeah. I totally agree with what you're like, saying. The, the other the other day, my yeah. oldest daughter, who's five years old, she goes, that is are there such a thing as like flying snakes. I'm like, I don't know. Let's let's check it out. So like, we Google flying snakes, and you know, within five minutes, we're watching a video of a flying of a flying snake. So you know, like, there's flying there. snakes. They're, they're they're more of gliders, but like yeah. they, oh. they jump and they for a long, long, long time, bro. Like it's actually wow. pretty crazy. Yeah, that's the cool. That's the one thing I do love about like the internet. Sometimes where yeah. it's like you like look up something and you're like, wow, I've been alive for 43 years and I had no fucking clue that this <laughs> is happening yep. or this is real. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, these tools are are should be looked at as gifts and it's all about your approach to it. As cliche as that might be to say, uh the if you if you go at using them uh, with a with this consciousness um and sort of like a a purpose, you know exactly uh what you're going to be using them for and uh, uh and why. But you know, obviously we're living in a world where most people aren't doing that. Most people are, are just going to be unplugged from that sort of conscious approach. Um, and yeah, so I, I believe, I don't know if either of you are familiar with, uh, with the works of the ringing cedars. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Vladimir Vladimir. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm familiar oh, cool. with them. I have friends that are really into them. Um, I was supposed to get the books to add to the library, but uh, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read them at all. Yeah. Yeah, I've, okay. I've, I've Wait, got yeah. friends that are super, super into them and, and swear by them, um, but I haven't gone super deep myself. I get a bit of a cultish vibe sometimes around it. I I understand. I I, yeah. I have as well. There's certain certain groups that I maybe a, a, avoid with them, but it's more so just the message of uh, the books itself. I was just going to bring up a, a quick point about Please them. Please do. And 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 I would and I would recommend uh, anyone just sort of check them out just for themselves. Just you know, obviously, don't turn it into a cult. And that's actually one of the main points of the book is don't turn this into a cult. Don't turn this into a religion. That's not the point. But anyway, uh, the whole uh, this one point they make in the book uh, is that you know all of this, everything that we have happening right now, as far as you know, this technological rollout, everything that people associate with, like the WEF or whatever. Um, so it, the the word for this now that we like to use is technocracy, and that's the word used in the book. Um, and so the point is brought up multiple times, like, what are we supposed to do with all this? Are we supposed to just abandon everything and go back to like this all natural living, like how so many sort of idealist sort of hippie types want to talk about, like, you know, throw it all away, all your silicon devices and go back to the soil and just, you know, live like cavemen. Um, but the point is, no, no, like years, we should be... Uh, 
whatever tools we have, it's almost like there needs to be a sort of alchemy with them. Mm-hmm. If we've been if we've been given these tools by people who have nefarious abilities, then we need to we know we need to know how to be the same kind of alchemist that they are. If they can twist good for evil, then we need to know how to twist evil for good. Uh, so we need to be able to use these things like the technology we're using now to yeah. uh, have this conversation. I know people bring this up all the time. So yeah, these tools absolutely uh, they they need to be used for this purpose. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, we're, we're lost. We ha- we have the ability to uh, make these connections all around the world um, and learn all these awesome things. So yeah, take advantage. And it's not going away. Like it's not right. Technology isn't going away. And even with everything that went down in 2020, there are people who like made decisions based on fear and they're like, we're just moving off the grid and fuck Mm. all this shit. And then it's like, they realize the like reality versus the fantasy isn't the same. And then they come to face to face with what, what do they really want and what are their values? And they're maybe like, well, maybe I don't want to live in the middle of nowhere on 10 acres of land. Now, some people do and they make it work. So again, it's like, where are you making these decisions from? You know, are they coming from a place of fear? You know, to what degree does self-knowledge play into this? You know, you said it earlier, like about Michael and everything we talk about, like, how well do you know yourself? You know, how well can you reflect on what you truly want and who you are? This is where obviously I'm into a lot of esoteric stuff like human design and, you know, Michael's Terrascope and learning these things about yourself. And from a human design standpoint, understanding your Mm -hmm. unique authority and your unique decision-making process which is your personal intuition in a sense. And so that's like served me well in my life, even before I even knew these specific things about me and also not to hold any of this stuff as like strict dogma. You know, you've heard me say before, I'm not like a dogmatist. I like taking information from different places. How does it interact with me and who I am and what I'm into? And then how does that allow me to make decisions that I think are correct for me? So, you know, I think that's extremely important to consider. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And well, every single tool is transformed by the consciousness that uses it, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I really, I really dislike when people come from the angle that like all these, you know, tools that are in mass production and we utilize every single day today has come from evil minds and afford nefarious purposes. You yeah. know, like right. Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos, like for example, like he found a hole in the market and he created a product which billions of people use and rely upon like every single day. Like there's this great morality that it takes to create that level of value as well. Not saying that we have to agree with everything that Jeff Jeff Bezos Bezos does in every single arena of his life. But in that particular arena, he's he's done the majority of people a service. Like the iPhone, like Apple, you know, whatever it might be. Like on some level, we also have to acknowledge that it takes great minds to, to build these products and to, be able to, you know, provide value to the masses to such a degree and such a capacity. So it's not about, you know, just like shunning away from everything that has now been adopted on a mainstream level. Well, even the same thing when like movies and cinema and art, it's like, it's all bad. Hollywood's evil. You can't watch anything. You can't entertain yourself, like throw away your TV. It's like, okay, I get it on some level. Like you have to be discerning and mindful on what you're consuming. And at the same time, there's beautiful stories. You, know, you learn right. about the human condition. You learn about yourself. You tune into yourself. You feel feelings that maybe you wouldn't have felt before because you've been stimulated in a certain way. So it's like you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, this and is I think the, sometimes this, people do. This is the thing, yeah. like, you know, we're so dualistic in our thinking that everything's either good or bad. It's either it's either good or evil, you know, and it's about mm-hmm. getting rid of the evil and just coming closer to the good. 
you know, but we don't realize that both contain each other, like both are necessary. And the goal is yes. for you to become yeah. more expanded and holistic in how you receive and 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 relate to to these ideas. You know, it's it's not about like let me just fucking push away everything that doesn't fit within my current dogma and just you know absorb yeah. more of the thing that I think is going to fulfill me in that way. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, you go, you go, man. All right, uh, yeah, a lot I could say there. Uh, really good points. Um, it, it to me, it strikes me as a form of uh, this self-flagellation that's been uh, just on a psychological level that's been brought about by especially all this trauma of the past few years. Though I mean, it's been ongoing for most of human history, and that's why people want to get into this whole uh, uh, this whole way of thinking because it does it makes their life less enjoyable. Like when you're saying like every single production of Hollywood is like something to be burned and 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 you know shunned and. Um, because I, I agree with your point wholeheartedly. You've got to know how to look at these things and uh, and catch the beauty of them. Otherwise, like you know, it's it's much much better to take something that may be bad or may have some bad origin and turn it into something beautiful, um, even if it's just internally, rather than just like you know, ignore it and just think like, oh, there's this ugly thing out in the world that I'm going to try to avoid. And then the other side of the coin there is when. Like what you're saying about uh, Jeff Bezos is, yeah, he obviously has done plenty of despicable things, but yeah, you're right. He, like we've got to acknowledge maybe he's done some good for the world by releasing these sort of these products and and giving people the opportunity to have this. And then all the uh, say what the maybe alternative truth community want to say are like the good guys, right? Well, what kind of skeletons do they have in their closet, right? Like no one yeah. kind of gets out of this world like so you're we're only ever seeing personas of people whether they're the heroes or the villains but really like you said everybody has a little bit of both in them like well, yeah, human beings are super complex anyone that's really understands and studies psychology knows these things so right. it's like and 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 this is something i've talked about often it's like you go online in the world where we live now truth community conspiracy community whatever you want to call the fucking community is that like you're into someone and then they say one thing that you that you disagree with and you're like <laughs> yeah, yeah fuck that oh dude God. fuck that right. dude I'm unfollowing him right. I, I, you know, I can't believe I can't believe I listened to anything that person ever said in his entire life right. like what are you talking about but like it's okay to disagree yeah. with people and they're, they're just projecting their, their own fear and they're, they're, they're just projecting their own inability for self-awareness and when we completely right. blindly like shut out all of Hollywood or like all of you know then we're just coming from the angle that we're scared that someone else can't critically think for themselves. We're scared that someone can't watch a movie and not and have the capacity to like mm. take the good and leave what doesn't resonate, or use a product and take the good and, and leave what what doesn't resonate. We're coming from a place that's anti-rationality, that's anti-trust of what humans are actually capable of. And I think that mm. we all have the capability to interact with things with more discernment. You know, more holistically, et cetera, et cetera. But most of the people, particularly like that, call themselves truth seekers. It's, it's always fear-based actions. It's no, this is satanic. This is going to affect me negatively. Even if I dabble in this on any degree whatsoever, then that leads me down a whole you know arena that I, I don't trust myself in. Mm. And it's, it's the same thing with with, with with religionists, you know. Anything that has an astrological sign on it, anything that's related to the tarot, anything that has a yoga mat in the room, you know, let's not engage with that <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, 
Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, especially that latter mindset is uh, sort of what I've grown up with. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that part of the reason yeah, why you consider yourself a critical thinking being now? Like me too. I, I was I was raised as, as as a Jehovah's Witness, right? But on some level, that's mm. the fundamental foundation that gave me the contrast to be like, hang on, something ain't right here. And in, in many oh. ways, that's what fostered my ability to think critically. Now a short break from the episode. Hey everyone, uh, if you've been enjoying this conversation, uh, we have this kind these kinds of conversations and so many other kinds of uh, conversations around these subjects in our Friends of the Truth community. So if you're interested in joining us, hanging out with us, diving deep on these subjects, go to friendsofthetruth.co. Yeah. And even beyond us, come connect with an amazing group of legends who are inspired, who are empowered, and you know, who would, who would love to connect with you. And the power of community at this time cannot be understated. Back to the episode. Oh, yeah. It's something I'm extremely grateful for, having seen, uh, lived through, and, and been in so many uh we'll say like ideologically opposed social circles um yeah. all that like it really gave me so much insight on a lot of things it really helped me to question um a lot of the assumptions that i have about uh, about the world uh, like another th another thing that i was uh, heavily involved in in my early 20s was like the the punk rock movement i was very much into like the i was like in a band traveling around we had a, and everyone there was like you know in into like Karl Marx and, you know, you know, we got to like overthrow capitalism and, you know, socialism mm -hmm. is the way to go. So I, for, I spent years of my early twenties sort of in that world as well. Um, yeah. just as another example. And so now I've seen that same group of people like, you know, that I would have figured were so anti-establishment before. Now they're all the ones who are going along with basically everything the TV is telling them to do. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, I was going to just just kind of jump in there. It's interesting too the conversations that I've had with people that left these collectivistic countries, you know, older individuals that left these countries and then at the start of 2020 and you know into into 2021 they knew they they can sense what was yeah. happening. They're like, yeah. "No, I'm not going along with this." You know, because they've lived it. They've been there. They've had these personal experiences and their intuition has been heightened to a place where like I've seen this before. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. having anything to do with it. Yeah. Anyways, and that's why. They, oh, then that's why they're always going to rely on the younger generations, right? The mm. younger, the younger folk are the are the revolutionaries, the cultivated revolutionaries for that reason. Um, yeah, and you know we have to go through these rites of passage in our life. You know whether you're yeah. like punk rock and you're like down with the system, capitalism is evil. You know, or like you're hardcore religious, yeah. whatever the case may be. These are phases in our life. Like yeah, you, you yeah, learn exactly. through these processes, you balance from one side or the other to the other side, then you create some more nuance. You can see the benefits of maybe certain things that are good about one side versus the other. Again, this whole black and yeah. white thinking, it's like, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're so much more complex than that. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm a lot more uh, hesitant to maybe trust the words or the insight of people who have like only ever been one thing. Cause I know plenty of people like this as well. Like, Oh, I just, from the moment I was born, like I've always been, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've always been Christian. I've always been atheist. I've always thought this, you know, my family's always been Republican or Democrats and I've never thought anything different outside of that. Um, and you know, these people do exist. I've come across them. And so, yeah, you can, you can tell that there's, um, I mean, not to talk down about anyone, that's not the point here, but we can definitely see uh, there there is a bit of an arrest in their ability to uh, 
to you know, perfectly uh, well expected. They're not really going to be able to see anything outside of their own perspective. Well, and their identity, and our identity very often is wrapped up with a singular yeah. ideology, which inherently in some way prevents not all people from seeing many different sides. You know, right. whether you're like, I'm a Christian, I'm a Buddhist, I'm this. That's cool. Like, it's a personal relationship. I've, I've had conversations with people that, that align with these things or that's how they identify. And there is some room for nuance, but there's many that don't. And the minute you challenge or question, you know, the usual thing happens, either ridicule, dismission, mm. aggression, you know, condescension, uh, defensiveness, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's humanity in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, by no means I'm not, uh, uh, immune to that, you know, like I, I'm on my own process. So I'm, I'm learning things. There's things that I thought were like, no, oh, this is totally the truth. Like six years ago. And then my, I get exposed to new information that challenged me in different ways. And my intuition goes, oh, this, this feels right. This, this, this seems like a good path to go down. And then it's like yeah. totally, you know, shifted my thinking and perception of things or the world or the human body or health. So I think there has to be that openness. Oh, and something I was going to say before is I think part of it is like this inability to hold space within yourself for like the vulnerability of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. Like we're just, this like certainty feels safer in the human body than uncertainty. Yeah. From a nervous system standpoint. So unless yeah. you've built that capacity to deal with like uncertainty, not knowing discomfort, confusion, you know, you're going to latch onto something that is like, you know, the life raft. I'm like, oh, I believe this now. Okay, great. I can continue on the next five years of my life. Yeah. Whereas it takes a certain kind of person uh, that can live in this space. Yeah. And that's that's particularly yeah. the case when we derive our self-worth by sight, by how others perceive us and how others see us, you know, because it's like... um we need we need to be seen as someone that knows things, or as someone that you know gets things, or someone that's smart, or someone that grasps ideas quickly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. When for most of us, we don't give ourselves the proper self acceptance and time to think things through properly to come to our own our own conclusions. You know, we live in this culture that expects us to know answers and have answers and pick a side mm -hmm. immediately. Yeah, like think about Palestine, Israel. How dare you to not pick a side? You know how 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 dare you okay. not know which which yeah. one is the you know like, yeah. the day after, like yeah, the yeah. day after it happens, yeah. you must know. You gotta know. I was having this conversation last night with friends of mine that I that I I've, that I saw that I haven't seen in a long time. Back in I'm back in my hometown, and we were having that conversation like like with anything that goes on in the world, like you can't have space for not knowing for wanting to like look into both sides to say that, Oh, maybe each side has a point. And it's like, no, you must claim your, your position and announce it to everyone. And if you don't announce it to everyone, you're a part of the problem and your silence is violence. Yep. Like fuck off. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know yet. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, couldn't agree more, especially when you're in a position like, oh, for, so for you guys being sort of like, uh, you know, th these, th this bastion of, of knowledge with this podcast, uh, sort of teachers in your own right, absolutely. And then, you know, going in front of a classroom, it's kind of a weird thing because mm -hmm. we're, what you say is exactly right. We're kind of expected to know everything and to have all the answers to any sort of question that could be posed. 
And this has been a personal challenge of mine and I'm getting better at it. But like oftentimes students are going to ask you questions, especially about complicated topics when you get to higher levels of science. Like, you know, I legitimately forget the answer to this or I just don't know the answer. And you've got to be able to, you know, drop the ego a little bit as a teacher and just say, like, I, sorry, man, I don't know. Like, you're going to have to figure this out. Yeah, let but, me, but you, let me let me come back to you. Mm. Yeah, but and, and but you're the example like that right there is the example of yeah. the thing that we're trying to cultivate and all the stuff we're talking about now, like it's okay to not know. It's right. okay right. to be in the process of discovering something. But if we're just, if we have teachers our whole life that like just regurgitate something or they don't say, I don't know, or they don't say, Hey, like this is what I believe so far, but I could be wrong. Like you mm -hmm. have to like cut that projection field of like, Oh my God, you're the teacher. You know, everything you're amazing. You have a podcast. Oh my God, you're creating a course yeah. about science. Oh my God. I don't have that knowledge. I'm not doing those things. You must know more than me. And like, maybe yeah. on some levels we might know more, but how can we, as the people in those positions go, Hey, listen, thank you for saying those kind things about me. And like, I'm a human being, I'm in process. I don't know things. I fuck up. My wife thinks I'm an asshole sometimes, you know, whatever the case may be. <laughs> And just like, so, so they could go, oh, okay, cool. I could, that person's a human. They're not a God. They don't know everything. They're not like inherently better than me because they're on a screen or because, you know, they're standing up in front of a classroom. Like just like we, the, the, again, this is where I think humility works. I've talked about this before. That word is something that I think gets overused, but the humility of like, Hey, listen, yeah. I I'm in process. I don't know everything. And putting it, putting the onus back on the, the student. Hey, listen, you know, why don't you, like, these are some things I've learned, but like, why don't you continue the investigation process? Yeah. Yeah. No one, That's no huge. one can think or learn properly with so much tension and expectation, you know? And it's like, we, we, we put our, we put our own minds in our own selves in chains first, but like, we have to allow mm -hmm. ourselves the freedom to have the time to, to learn and to think and to discover in order to be good teachers and to offer that to someone else as well, you know? Right. Yeah. And there's so much yeah. pressure to live up to that projection because if you don't, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? This is where self-esteem comes into play. A person yeah. of high self-esteem doesn't just give you a bullshit regurgitated answer so that you can come across as not knowing, you know, and maybe getting judged for not knowing, but they're like, Hey, listen, I know what I know and the things I don't know, I'm cool with not knowing. Right. And if you're not able to tackle that personal dragon, when you are in this position of, you know, being a teacher, which should be seen as like as a sacred duty if you're guiding and leading the minds of young learners. But if you can't undo that projection of like, oh, I'm supposed to know everything, then someone asks a question and you don't know the answer. And so you just like seen it happen. Like people yeah. just, you know, make something up or they'll just say something that like it probably isn't true or whatever. So you're in that in those cases, you're giving the students incorrect information just to sort of save face. Yeah. And, and so this is important for parents. Like, again, I'm not a parent, but if you're a parent and you're in the homeschooling world or unschooling, whatever, like, can you do that? Can your kids are going to ask you all these different questions? Can you not just give them bullshit answers because shit, I'm mom, I'm dad, I have to know. And like, my kid mm. can't see me vulnerable or my kid can't see me like without having the answer. And so this is happening in, in those settings as well. So yeah. again, it comes back down to the individual. Right. So many illusions are propagated by our own urge to fake self-worth to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay, bro. We could keep going on and talking about all this stuff, but what's life all about? Oh, yeah. That, that's the, yeah, that thing that you're doing, about. that you're creating, and, and, and what it's about. <laughs>
Like, what is it? And uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I introduced a little bit um, at the beginning, uh, but yeah, what is this uh, it, more properly? Yeah. So it's a curriculum, right? Um, and right now it is just an online based curriculum. I'm essentially uh, kind of creating a biology textbook, we could say from the ground up, but in doing so, as I said before, I'm going to be intermingling uh, alternative theories and various other uh, various other topics surrounding like, you know, like esoterics. I might even bring in stuff about, to do with like alchemy and um, other things and uh, how these theories and ways of looking at things have intersected with the modern scientific worldview. Where do where does one paradigm work and where does another paradigm work? Um, so what does this mean specifically is like, I, I, it's, I'm going to, I start out, uh, the program, uh, really, I don't talk about anything science related at all in any sort of strict sense. Uh, the beginnings of the whole program, uh, is just about, um, uh, just scientific philosophy, epistemology in general. How do we know anything that we know and can we know anything? Uh, so that's like the, that's number one for me. If, if people are going to learn nothing else about, you know, like the inner workings of cells and DNA and all these other things, that all that stuff is secondary. Uh, but I start off in this foundation of everything is viable to be questioned, even the most uh, fundamental, um, even the most fundamental tenets of science. And then from there, I'm going to take students through, you know, the, typical things that you'd associate with the biological sciences. So we start off with like cells and basic cell anatomy Go going through a lot of that stuff. Most people learn when say they're in like high school or, you know, whatever, um, you know, this is the nucleus and this is what uh, it probably does and various other things, the endoplasmic reticulum. Um, moving on through there, we're going to, we talk about say like, you know, what is energy? How does, how does energy relate to, uh, um, the inner workings of life and everything. So really it's, it's covering the gamut of biological topics just from what I'm hoping to be uh, fresher perspectives, sort of an upgrade um, to the materialist reductionist paradigm that sort of undergirds all of these sciences. So it is, it is a, a proper curriculum. It's structured. It goes through all the lessons. I have the topics all drawn out. It's not done yet. It's a, uh, it's a huge work in the making. Of course. Um, so I'm still tweaking what I have and you know, reading a lot. It's, it's a full-time job on top of actually being a daytime teacher as well. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I'm hoping to do is, is uh, it's a all encompassing um, biology program aimed at sort of recapturing um, or we'll say reclaiming the sciences from this uh, materialist worldview. And bringing them back into their proper space of natural philosophy and appreciation of uh, the wisdom that nature has to show us. I, I love a man. Um, I love the vision, and I think it's a you know very important endeavor um, that that you're going on for sure, and, and one that's very very necessary. How do you? Um, because I think like a lot of a lot of the a lot of the reasoning and the foundational um, ideas that leads to low self-esteem within the masses is like this whole idea that everything is random. You know, the universe is random. Mm -hmm. You know, the Big Bang led to a bunch of life that also is just random and anything could happen at any time. So I'm curious, like, how do you go about teaching? Like, you know, because that's the primordial question that 
kids ask, like, how do how, mm. what is all this? Where did all yeah, this come from? What's going on? What's what's the purpose of all this? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that that could be like a whole podcast in and of itself, uh, getting into that that topic. Um, but generally, uh, the way that the sciences and this mainstream paradigm have painted everything is that everything sort of started with like physical laws, which is eventually what gave birth to this big bang and everything. And then from, you know, the, the particles and atoms, they all came together and they became more complex. They formed into molecules, molecules eventually became more complex and formed into life. And it's just this ongoing, as you say, random process. So basically the, the order we could say from the main branches of the natural sciences are going to be like physics, then chemistry, then biology. And then after biology, we have psychology. Psychology is just an epiphenomena of, you know, the brain and electrical signals bouncing back and forth. And that's really all, all it is. Um, but a simple way to answer this question would be to say, okay, well, what if we flip that around and we start asking, we, we start investigating the evolution of the cosmos, reality, whatever word you want to uh, apply to it. And we say, well, what if we start with mind and consciousness? Mm. Because uh, at this point has been, is keeps getting made over and over again, but it's worth restating is uh, it's like the, the worldview of science hasn't actually been keeping up with what scientific discoveries have been showing. In particular, in this world of, uh, you know, everybody loves to throw around the world uh, the word quantum physics and quantum theory, uh, but but what what is it really showing at its at its most foundational level is our observation of the of the universe around us of the actual physical space shows us really it's not a it's not a predictable space at all. Our own observation changes the way that things work on the most foundational level. And so what is that actually showing us that it's showing us that mind really is probably the primary thing. It's not an accidental epiphenomena, but it's like the entire universe that we live in, this physical place that we've been tricked into having this like Cartesian view of where you know, we're the subject and it's the object and there's this sort of like indivisible wall. What, what if mind and matter are really just two sides of the same coin? Like they say the same thing about, you know, like an electric current and magnetism. It's really just two angles on the same thing. But if that's what mind and matter is, the entire reality that we have, all these physical laws that we're working out through the scientific method are just the result of this sort of like collective dream that we're all having together, birthing the cosmos into reality. Um, very, so very resilient. Yeah. Yeah. Have you gotten into yeah. Walter Russell's work? Yeah, I have. Uh, I've read, I, I got through half of uh, The Secret of Light. Um, but since I have like so many, you know, yeah. uh, figurative tabs open, I, I put that one to the side for now. But I'm, I'm planning to go back to it. Because um, right now, I, I've actually recently over the past couple of months, I've, I haven't really even been studying biology. I've been going back into physics a lot and studying. Um, that's why I brought, I had electromagnetism on the mind. I've been going back into physics a lot lately because I'm really trying to understand the concept of energy. Um, I recently uh, listened to your guys' uh, um, interview with Eileen McCusick uh, mm -hmm. with the electric body. Um, I actually, I have one of her tuning forks. I bought one a, a okay. while ago. And uh, so, um, yeah, so what she was talking about was uh, really resonating uh with a lot with a lot of uh things that i've been studying as well um 
So yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that. <laughs> but uh, well, I guess the, yeah. the cool thing is, man, there's so many different avenues and angles that overlap that connect. And, you know, and I think that's what we're moving more towards. You know, it isn't just this like materialist reductionist or even in medicine, mm. like one cause, one solution. Here you go. Here's your pill. It's just yeah. There's yeah, nuance yeah. to it. And um, that's why I yeah. love that we have these conversations you know, with Eileen about the biofield and, you know, obviously how I feel about Dr. Homer's work and or how we feel mm, about mm, Dr. Homer's work and his research, you know, like consciousness can't be left at the door, you know, mm. and uh, it's such a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. What are your, what are so your thoughts on like, um, on, on evolution? Because like, I find like many people also in this community just want to like throw Darwinism completely out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know that's, uh, that was like the, the progenitor debate for me. Uh, going back when I being raised evangelical and going into this, yeah. uh, yeah. So, um, the the picture that people have, I think, of what evolution is on sort of both sides of the, this uh, ideal of this ideology war, the culture war, um, it lags behind a lot of what actual evolutionary research shows us about things. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to do I don't. I wouldn't do like a deep dive into evolution at this moment, but uh, it's, I see, I see where people are coming from when they're pointing out issues with it. Because again, the whole Darwinian model relies on the idea that everything really is random. So that's why it's very popular amongst the materialist reductionists. Um, so there's definite issues with the Darwinian model, but uh, it has become, it seems, another instance of throwing the baby out with the bathwater as we keep saying yeah. um people don't want to they, they just want to say okay evolution is what's believed by these atheistic scientists and i don't want to believe anything that they believe yeah. so obviously i'm just going to say you know it's all evil it's all horrible when no evolution is really at, at its most basic just telling us uh darwin was a free darwin was a freemason can't take anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't, can't, can't believe anything. He's, yeah, he was, he was a 33 man. We can't, can't do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's, uh, it's a refusal to see nuance. I can understand where, uh, where the people who want to criticize it are coming from because there are legitimate, uh, criticisms of the models. Yeah, absolutely. But to say that, you know, things, organisms don't adapt over, successive yeah. generations through various mechanisms i mean yeah yeah well, they even, do yeah well even you know with with gnm the third biological laws about embryology that relates mm -hmm. to evolutionary processes and like yeah. you know i've had some well i don't know if i believe in gnm because uh evolution you know it's like right yeah 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 okay yeah but come on uh <laughs> you can't be yeah. you can't be christian and believe in gnm yeah, uh, right. Yeah, you can't. You can't give any. If you connect those dots any, about you know <laughs> evolution, evolution, you know it's yeah. Again, no yeah, yeah, nuance. Yeah, you, yeah, you you can't let them gain any sort of ground. Um, that's yeah, that's that's just the way we live. If if there's any sort of concept of like we at one point in human evolution we weren't modern humans, then that automatically entails like oh we have no soul and there is no creator and all this. Um. Yeah, it's really amazing to see people uh, get caught into this sort of thinking. We see it every day. How do you how do you, how do you teach that? How do you teach that to kids though? You know, like like what 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 is what is the right way to teach kids? Like where where how do, where do we come from? Where do we evolve from? Did we originate in the water? Like were we just single cell organisms once upon a time? Like 
How do you like to know? What, what, where, 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 yeah, was our DNA? Where, where were we genetically manipulated with aliens? <laughs> you know, there's yeah, so many theories. Right. Like, um, yeah. So, I I should uh, add a, add a bit of detail here. Currently, I'm I'm teaching at in in Bangkok at uh, a Christian school, despite not being a Christian. So there there's certain I haven't gotten to evolution yet because I I'm relatively recent i've been teaching about other topics but mm -hmm. when i've taught evolution or discussed it with uh my with lifeology students um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna share or i have shared with them the mainstream view i always do i'm going to say this is what you know the mm -hmm. the institutions are going to tell you but you know uh, then i am going to bring up I, I love that you guys already prompted me with the examples like i will say well here's some evidence to say that you know maybe we did evolve for a good portion of our time but what if you know there was some sort of you know extra dimensional or extra planetary intelligence or just some other race that manipulated us in some way because here's the theorists that believe this and here's their here's their evidence and even if i can't i can't uh represent every single yeah. detail of their arguments i can at least point them in the directions of here's some scholars that have looked into this yeah and yeah. and what that does like even just as you were saying that and obviously i'm not a, a 12 year old or a 15 year old like it excites me it like mm. it goes like you like saying okay this is what's being taught in the institutions and these are some other things like for me at least maybe that's just how i'm built i'm like oh really wait people think this well i gotta look into this mm. more and that's what we want that's yeah. what we want. Like for someone to go, oh, wait, I just came across this book that counters what my mom said or counters what my teacher said. Like, um, this is interesting. And then right. that process continues, hopefully, in a person's life. Yeah, yeah the true thinkers are the ones who have that. Uh, they're the ones that are going to have that reaction to contradictory information. There's some people, I think, where it really excites them. Like the, I get like... For me, I always got this like just uh, like an excited tingling in my stomach whenever I, I came across or heard something like that. It, um, oh, yeah, I would I would just be super jazzed. You know, what what is this idea? Like, I need to know. Um, but then other people I know uh, who you know you do that, and it's it's just shut down. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. it depends very much on the student, and I definitely have students who are like that. I can tell uh, when I'm going on my ramblings, I can tell who's getting like really wide eyed and like, whoa, and who's just like, you know, some students just tuning out. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get them all. And you're not no. supposed to, I think, you know, uh, no. it's really, you're, you're always, even if you're, you're, if you got a class of a hundred students, uh, you're going to, you've got to focus on like, who are the one or two students that actually give a shit? Uh, Cause those are the ones that I'm going to actually care about yeah. the rest. And if they're there to just yeah, this is the other. This is the other mystery that we've talked about before on this show. Like, what makes an individual like go? Okay, twenty twenty happened. Yeah, this no, I'm not into it. That bullshit. You know, <laughs> how does someone have intuition? What is it in their upbringing? What is it in their their makeup? Their soul journey? Like, this is a mystery. I don't know, but it's fascinating. And 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 yeah. again, everyone opens the doors in the, in their own time as well. Like, there's many people who never gave a shit about learning, and you know, weren't interested at school whatsoever. And then they were. Know, then all of a yeah. sudden, yeah, became some of the greatest minds, you know. Of so, course, and and right. people who and who people at the beginning of 2020 were like, oh, like maybe they got impacted by the fear or whatever, and then now they're like, yeah, fuck that bullshit, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like it's not about. It's just I guess in general, it's, I'm always curious to see like what is it in a person because you can't just go, okay, well this led to this, led to this, and that's why you're this person, and that's why you're you're a critical thinker. There's so many factors. It's a mystery. Yeah, it's a yeah, mystery. Right. There's, there's, there's not a single answer. You know, it's an individual thing, man. Like we always say. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, I wouldn't be able to add anything to that. It's it's, yeah, a, no, it's no. a complicated constellation of, of factors that are going to go into it. I don't know. If, I don't know if there really is. Yeah, can't be. It's a mystery. That. Yeah. Hmm. I just like to bring up that you're a science teacher and your name is Mr. Spellman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. That's all. Casting spells. Uh, it's, are you casting spells? <laughs> yeah, I've. Uh, People have made reference to that before. I, I the origins of my name, uh, it's German, uh, so it comes from Spielmann. Um, oh. So it's an anglicized version, but basically uh, that meant some ancestor at some point was like a playwright, a writer. Um, Is that where so Spiel that's, that's, comes from? Like he's his Spiel. He yeah, like my Spiel. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh that's, wow, that's, like that's German cool. Word, right. Yeah. So I've learned another new thing today. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so. But yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's the other in. thing, you know, like there's so much sometimes of value in like words and like etymology and like numbers and numerology, you oh, know, yeah. which science oh. just completely disregards as well. Oh yeah. I, I annoy the shit out of my, uh, my young students with etymology all the time. They like, they're, you never really see that in a science course, but I want to tell them, okay, we're going to talk about energy today. Well, where did energy come from this word? And so I'm taking them back to like, okay, the proto-Indo-European root of the word basically meaning like you know, work that happens or like it's something to make things do them, do something. And, um, I get a lot of glazed overlooks with that from a lot of students of why are we, this is an English class. But to me, I, those intersections are really what I find to be so fascinating. Yep. In terms of like, what do you think, you know, obviously again, everyone's individuals, everyone's different. Like what's the appropriate like schedule or like way for people to like learn or, or or be schooled in general like okay we're saying that mainstream not, might not have all the answers you know we go to school whatever seven eight hours a day x amount of classes whatnot but like what's the what's the right amount of like time and consumption mm. that's necessary for, for for students in your opinion i don't think there there's gonna be a one-size-fit-all answer I know yeah. that might be the answer you were expecting, but yeah. that really is just the case. There's no, there's no real avoiding that. There's some students I know who can, who love to just sit for hours and listen to a lecture. Other students I have in my classroom, they should not be in a classroom like at all. Yeah. Um, so uh, it really depends on the individual. I think, especially uh, learning about nature. If I ideally, what I want to be able to do at some point is take lifeology offline and have like an actual physical space, um, channel sort of like my own inner Aristotle would be another, uh, sort of hero of mine. Mm -hmm. It's his whole idea. Like he, he himself is a natural philosopher. He's referred to as like history's first scientist. Yep. Um, is, you know, he, his whole thing was, yeah, I'm going to, I, I, he was uh, breaking away from sort of like these really flighty, heady ideas of uh, Plato and his other teachers um, because he's like, I want to bring philosophy back down to the earth. And so he was very obsessed with like plants and animals and stuff like that. And he would bring his students just out on walks and he'd say, like, oh, he wax philosophical by, you know, having them observe the blossoming of a flower or whatever. So I think that strategy works a lot better. Um uh, than anything else I can think of. So yeah. even if you are just giving like a lesson presentation or something, and you have a specific topic in mind, uh, get the vast majority of student, 99% of students should not be in some four walled classroom, get them out into the trees or, or a meadow or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but as far like as schedule it, goes, yeah, that's, like that's it, a very individual thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's well enough to say, you know, self-directed learning, 
but then at the same time, there has to be like a set container, like for learning. Like you tell a kid, oh yeah, just in your own time, when you're ready, like, all right, dad, I just want to play my iPad. You know, it's like- yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a very fine balance, especially when the students are young, because of course, like the vast majority of students, you're going to say, okay, we're taking you out of school, we're going to do homeschooling, and basically you're going to set your own schedule. Great. I'm going to wake up at like 11am and I'm going to play, I'm just going to play video games until four, and then maybe I'll do my math homework after dinner if I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, no, as a parent, you've got to know how to... Uh, set those boundaries for your kids like look we we still need to do this and we and we can make yeah. it as enjoyable as possible but we still kind of have these objectives and we need to meet them together yeah. boundaries uh, and but, structure is is yeah. still it's a piece of the puzzle yeah of course yeah um so finding that fine line as as a parent and as an educator if you're a homeschooling parent you've got to play both of these roles so you uh <laughs> there's no there's no real good easy answer for that. I wish there was. And I, I bet there's a lot of parents out there who wish there was, but I just don't think it is. Yeah. You've got and, to know and your a, kid. And, well, that's it. And as a parent or as an educator, like how how can you tune into the individuality of mm. this child at their age, like what they're drawn to, where their natural skills lie that you can observe, you know, right. and, and then guide them in this direction of the things that are going to, you know, stimulate them and support the the the, the growth of these inner gifts. And yeah. you know what? You know what the thing is also like very often we're most motivated to learn things when it becomes necessary for the achievement of something that we value, right? Like I was never interested in business, commerce, or economics until I wanted to be an entrepreneur and create my own business and monetize a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like now all of a sudden I'm very interested in learning economics, commerce, and business, etc. You know what I mean? So by them having a goal or a vision or an objective to move towards, in doing so, we find ourselves having to have self-efficacy to learn the things necessary to then achieve that goal and move towards, you know, starting the lemonade mm. stand or what, or you know, building a dance business or, or whatever the hell it might be. Yeah, because if you're not doing that, if if students don't have like an actual tangible idea of where certain knowledge is going to lead them, then they don't want to learn. And I, they're, they're not going to want to learn it. And I see this all the time. And honestly, I feel bad for the vast majority of students who get sent into a classroom and you can tell they don't want to be there. Right. I, and I, and I acknowledge this with them out in the open. Like I look, I know maybe like 70% of you don't care about what I'm teaching. And if I, if it were up to me, you, you would be, you know, out playing or doing whatever you want, but um, it's just an, un- it's an unfortunate byproduct of this sort of Prussian school factory model that we have where, mm-hmm. you know, just take a bunch of random kids and sit them all in a classroom together. Maybe some of them have aptitude and interest in the subject and they really want to learn. Others have absolutely no care at all. And when they're at a young age and, and they have like, you know, they're just a hundred percent impulse, you know, they're going to be like off the walls running around, especially kids being so hyperactive now. And so like, you know, so much bottled up energy, just keeping them under control um, becomes just such a task. Um, because yeah, you're, because it's what we're getting at here is, is this uh, point that gets made a lot of this standardization of humans thinking like you can just take any child and just stick them anywhere. And, and basically everyone's going to be everyone's going to pop out the same with the same aptitude and at the same time same time schools are going to turn around and give you this line about how oh we're trying to foster the individuality of all of our students like you're not really actually seeing that in 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 practice yeah let me ask you this question like do you have kids 
No, not yet. Planning yeah. in the near future, though. Okay, cool. cool, cool. Yeah. All right. So, say you had, you know, a seven year, seven year old, and eight year old, for example. Like, mm. would you would you be sending them to? Is there a preferred school that you would be sending them to, or you know, would you be backing yourself to educate them appropriately in in the home? Um, what would you personally do? If I had, if if I, if it was absolutely impossible for me to educate them at home myself, uh, then yeah, I'd I'd have to just be very very selective with the schools. Um, and now, like normally, my old answer would have been like, okay, well, I'm going to look for the schools that are really into these like alternative paradigms of education, like you know they they do like Steiner Montessori stuff, like mm-hmm. that's a really good start. And now I'm seeing uh, from my own personal experience and just other stories I've heard, okay, now apparently that doesn't really solve all the issues when yeah. uh, things get challenging. Uh, so maybe I'm just cynical, but the experiences that I've had, and they're not all bad. I mean, I'm still I'm, I'm still teaching as a day job and everything uh, that's worked through all that. But uh, now what I'm constantly telling people is nothing has convinced me more to homeschool my kids than working at schools. Um, because even like the, what was supposed to be one of the most forward thinking and best schools in Thailand, just as far as I was concerned, just completely failed um, in their mission. Um, and yeah, of course, as a scientist, we're supposed to say, you know, we need more data points to draw conclusions, but in the real world, it doesn't always happen like that, you know? Um, so my, my intuition is, uh, yeah, keep it small, keep it local. And if you can't actually provide the education for your kids, because obviously not everyone can do that. Now we're living in, in, in this world of we have online homeschooling co-ops. These kinds mm-hmm. of things happen. Find your tribe, find people who at least no one's going to ever think exactly like you, yeah. but find the people who at least think similar enough to you where you could, you know, you feel like you could trust your children with them for, you know, like a, a lesson here and there on this like math or uh, yeah. whatever topic it is yeah they're you know different homeschooling pods are being created in, in that regards and i think also too it's creating an opportunity for educators like yourself um that have a certain you know way of thinking to to provide opportunity people like people can create a homeschooling pod and then a person can go in and, and be the teacher like in person too mm-hmm. and like probably right. make a better living potentially exactly. at a school too so yeah. these, these are opportunities for educators too. They're like, listen, I don't want to work, but like I'm in this town and I've met these families and they want to create a pod and, you know, I can, I can kind of create a curriculum or, you know, like I'm friends with Ian and he's got, he's got, you know, this little program that I might integrate. Like we don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the next five years, 10 years, what's going to come about. And it's really exciting times too. And very often innovation happens when, you know, we're, we're pushed up against the wall and collectively the last four years we have, and there's a lot of interesting things that are coming from this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really do think that's the that's the forward momentum that we have going and I don't see it really going anywhere anytime soon. Um public schools have shown that, you know, they're uh staunchly committed to the current path that they're on and so it's getting worse and worse. Parents are realizing this. Even if the parents don't are are, are you know, they don't even have to be like, you know, alternative thinking, you know, sort of what they call the right wing. Now, I think now even like sort of moderate or even left wing parents are realizing like, you know, this, oh, is, yeah. uh, it's just stupid. Like, I don't want my kid to be here. Um, yeah. I've had so, conversations with cla- more like classically liberal people that maybe mm-hmm. aren't so far on the left side and they're like, yeah, I'm not into what's happening. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
So very different than when when I was growing up, you know, sure, there was still that indoctrination element of like, you know, the traditional schooling system, but what they were teaching, it wasn't, uh, it was very different. Yeah, yeah. Things have, uh, things have really taken off, especially over the past few years. So um, they're, they're committing suicide in a lot of ways, I think, uh, just on an institutional level. And so these sorts of community based um, co-ops, I really see them taking off in the near future. And so, like you say, that provides so much of an opportunity for not just like trained, like your sort of typical, like, you know, white collar teacher type people, but what about like the blue collar folks, the the carpenters, the electricians and everybody who have all this practical knowledge, like, okay, oh, yeah. herein lies the opportunity for them to come in and give other lessons. And okay, how can we how can we merge this? How, why don't we have like a, a physicist and an electrician teaching a class together? Because here's someone with the hands-on knowledge of how the wiring works. Here's someone who can explain the theory. Imagine so cool. what a class like that would be. That, I would love would, to have that class. Yeah, like that, that would be phenomenal. And these types of things, like when we're not bound by the strictures of this legacy schooling system and people are just like, okay, well, I just want to uh, cultivate a learning experience that uh, benefits my own interests and benefits what I want to do with my life. People yeah. are going to love learning again. Kids are yeah, going to love learning again. Like even just something simple, like we bring someone in, like all these people or a carpenter. Okay. We're going to build, we're going to build this little shed that will also have like a toilet and a sink. And like, how do the yeah. pipes go in and how does this happen? And like, it'd be right. so interesting to have this foundational knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. You're getting, yeah. you're getting both the practical and the, uh, the intellectual side of things. Yeah. And man, just such a pleasure having you on, man. Really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Where, totally, um, man. Love, love, like love the com- work you're doing, man. Love what you're putting out there. And I love the, I love the vision, like I mentioned, and you're putting it to action, dude. So like your response was about to say, is your, is your offer currently available or how can people learn more? Yeah. So I have a website, um, ianspellmanlifeology.com. Um, there's not much to it right now. I've written out a lot of things, but the most important thing is if people are interested in what I'm doing, I do have a contact form. You can easily find that there. Uh, Send me a message if you're looking for something like this, if you feel like it's a good fit. I'm currently taking on beta students, small group sessions and everything else. So uh, kind of working through that sort of as as demand shows itself. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm interested in just talking to people, even if it's not what you're looking for, just uh, love uh, yeah. chatting with like-minded folks. Awesome, um, man. What, what what ages are you currently like aiming at? I know it might grow in the future, but in terms of what you're currently doing. Yeah, well, uh, that's, a, that's an important question. Um, right now, the stuff that I've made uh, is going to be geared more towards like the high school, secondary age group to like early university. I have a few things that I've... Uh, I have prepared for younger people, um, younger students. Um, but yeah, I would say in general, the the level that I'm going for is going to be high school level. And especially because I feel like that was kind of a hole in the market. There's a lot of really good sort of simple younger learner type stuff, but the more like advanced juicy stuff, I feel like most of it is just regurgitated textbooks. So that's what I wanted to, um, that's the gap I wanted to fill. Um, but then the other thing I like to also, um, remind people of is this, so this is this, I, I am building this as this homeschooling unschooling program. 
Um, but I'm very much into teaching people who are planning to be educators themselves. Cause one thing uh, I've gotten from interviews with parents is that like, you know, I want to teach these subjects, but you know, I don't really remember anything about biology. It's been like mm -hmm. 20 years, 30 years since I've learned anything about this stuff. Uh, well, and, but you know, I have maybe my kid is like five or six years old, probably not old enough. Well, I'm perfectly willing to teach parents. Teach the, the subjects teachers. as well. There's yeah. There's teach the teachers. Great teach option. them the teach them the subjects, and then okay, and then how can they distill this down into something that works for their kids? That's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, awesome, man. We'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes, guys. Um, so Ian Spellman, Lifeology.com. Ian, once again, thanks for joining us, man. And for everyone else, stay tuned for the wrap up. Take care, guys. All right, my pleasure. See you, everyone. So good. So necessary. I think, you know, the the desire, the urge and, and the market for like genuine alternative education options is going to continue to expand. I feel like we're in like a, a middle period right now between everyone like questioning mainstream education and private public schools and also looking for the correct path, the correct answers. Um, and I'm excited to see, see how things unfold and, you know, what the paradigm shift continues to offer. Yeah, for sure, man. And and I think like a lot of people have um, maybe more questions than answers, you mm -hmm. know, around this, especially around like what we talked about in the episode. How do I educate my child because I'm not happy with the system? So I love, you know, I love what Ian's all about. I love what he's doing. I love his process. Even before we, we, we started the episode, he was talking about how, you know, he's he's constantly updating and constantly learning new things. And, and you have to be that way. You know, you have to be that way. And you have to have the humility to understand you know, as a parent, as a teacher, like, hey, I don't know everything. And how do I present this to, you know, my students? Uh, but it's exciting, you know, what, what the future holds. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. But, you know, Ian's doing some cool work. And yeah, you know, how do you ultimately teach a child to think critically is yeah. a big piece of the puzzle. And I mean, it can only be taught through experience, you know, like what are, what are the tenets of critical thinking in your own life, you know, and how can you pass that on in a way that, that isn't dogmatic? Um, but yeah, we can only teach really like what we know ourselves and, and, and what we've experienced. And I think it's just really important that people continue to have these conversations. I think that's, you know, like-minded community is so, is so necessary and particularly like parents with you know, kids of similar ages, you know, discussing this, discussing options. And then most importantly, like taking action. I know so many amazing, you know, empowered, truth-seeking parents now who are taking action in this arena. And, you know, there's this power in community. Even in our own community, Friends of the Truth, we have a specific homeschooling thread with amazing conversations taking place. Probably going to host specific homeschooling uh, community calls in the future for the parents within our community to discuss and get together and, you know, offer options. But yeah, even like individually, like on certain topics, you know, on, we can kind of point you in the right direction now in terms of like who's offering what and, you know, kind of who, who we recommend in terms of someone needing to learn something in different fields, economics, nice to know that Ian's in the science arena now. Um, and yeah, it'd be nice to eventually culminate, you know, the right people in the different subjects to, to just give someone where they can feel safe in that way. And you know, it's cliche, but children are the future and how do we nurture them? How do we raise them? How do we educate them? And it's uh, super important in terms of what's going to create this new, this new world or parallel worlds or challenging, you know, established systems and established ways of thought. And so I, I, commend, I commend all the parents out there that are asking themselves these questions. It may be confusing at time and maybe stressful as well as you're venturing into like a new paradigm. 
Um, but you know, that's part of it. You know, what do you value? And based on what you ultimately value, you're going to do what you have to do to, to make things happen. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, if, if you love what we do, please support us in any way you can, whether it's liking this episode, following our podcast, sending us an email, sharing it with a friend. If you want to go, if you want to go a step further, come join our community, uh, Friends of the Truth. You can find that at friendsofthetruth.co or using the link in the show notes. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward and never lose.